Lafondra looking to get offside of Von. Lafondra away from Davis. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to the Empire Royals podcast sponsored by Blue Collar Street Food who have now reopened in their winter clothes, winter outfit and got many events and two new stalls. So get yourself down to Blue Collar at some point soon. Jacob, you're joining me this morning, start of your weekend, but weekend has already been ruined because Reading lost last night. Yeah, what a, what a start to a weekend. I'm also especially a fan of how we've all turned up in the same uniform for this recording session. <laughs> we've all gone for like the, the plain white t-shirt. Very good. Nick must have got the message early because uh, I didn't didn't tell him to do this. So, Nick, good yeah. job. And uh, did you did you enjoy the game last night, Nick, or were you kind of one to wanting to turn? Yeah, it, off it was. It, it wasn't too. It could have been worse. I've seen us play much worse than that. And get get hammered in games like that. So I'm not going to complain too much. And uh, it was just frustrating. I think to lose it late, to be honest, and fall apart. The slop sloppy goal to give away to at the end. Yeah, we'll come on to the goal at the end. Yep. At the end, but um, yeah, looking at the starting lineup last night, we had Andy Yeardon come back into the team, Nick, and Tom Ince dropped out as well last night, along with Junior Hoylet. Um, yep. And I'm trying to remember who who came in for Tom Ince, but it, it uh, Zhao, Zhao, thank you, of course, yes. So we went with two up front, and then a kind of three centre-back, two wing-back formation, and then three very central midfielders. Mm. What did you think of the kind of... I don't know if it was necessarily a change in system, but it feels like it's a bit more kind of like defined attack midfield and defence there with less of a, a link between them. Yeah, I, I was quite happy with the top front. I quite liked the fact the other week against Huddersfield with Jow and Jow and Carroll. It gives us two sort of threats up there. Um, but then I think the midfield three, there's not really any creativity there. They all do a good job in their own way, but there's no creativity. And I think Hoylett's probably the next creative player. And then he's also rested at the same time as, as Ince. Uh, and that's not anything against Yeardom, who's obviously more of a defender than Hoylett. Uh, but there's just, we've got the two strikers and no creativity. And I think I was at one point uh, in, in the stat in the game, there's like 10 crosses for QPR, none for, for Reading. And we've got Andy Carroll on the pitch. So I think that shows that We've got two strikers there and we're not utilising the players around them to create for them. Yeah, I think it definitely took us a while to get any any kind of like balls into the area that way. It, the first half especially was was very kind of long ball up towards Andy Carroll, but it was very straight down the centre of the field. There wasn't mm. in a way of like cross, cross off passing. Jacob, I, I think yesterday, the first 10 to 15 minutes of the game, it was very kind of, obvious that QPR were, were a pretty decent side and Reading didn't really it, it almost felt like Reading hadn't turned up for that first 15 minutes I kind of got war flashbacks to how we started against Sunderland because we just didn't get a touch of the ball if I had a pound for every time we touched the ball in the first 15 minutes I'd maybe be able to afford like half a Greg sausage roll it was um, like instantly in the first half I thought okay we're drifting here we're not really getting a grip I know we were away from home and the last time we played QPR at Loftus Road, we were 3-0 down at half-time and that was in the uh, latter-day Paunovic era, which we don't talk about anymore. But um, no, I, I think even though the majority of people on Twitter could understand why the likes of Ince 
and Hoylet had been rested with the fixtures coming up, straight away I think we missed Ince's energy and just um, being able to be a bit of a midfield general and and get people on the ball more. Um, by the way, before we end up talking about both of the Dykes goals, I'd like to take full responsibility for putting the kibosh on, um, well, A, him scoring two goals when I said that he was having a bad season. And secondly, that um, the W12 podcast lads asked me to name my two players of the season so far. And I said, Ince and Hoyler, and neither of them started. So um, basically, it's all my fault. And if you're listening at home, I want to apologise formally. Anybody who uh, did go last night can submit a refund application to Jacob on Twitter. The uh, yeah, the, the the decision to drop Ince and Hoylet at the same time, it, it, it I feel like a lot of people would have been able to understand it pre-game, but as you say, I think they're probably two of our most creative mm. players, and I think once you drop Ince, you do lose that link between whoever's playing up front and the midfield, and it, it doesn't it doesn't just it, the ball doesn't flow very well. Um, going forwards, we end up playing very well, even more direct than we normally do. Um, when you when you lose Ince, I think, and and surprisingly, Hoylet, I think, is a a much bigger miss at right wing back than I was expecting him to be. I don't ex- I, I think I from the way I perceived Hoylet at least pre season. I never would have expected him to be this incredible right wing back. But actually, I think once Yeardom was on the field, we don't look as creative on the right hand side no. with him on, the, on the right as we do with Hoylet. And I don't think we lose enough defensively when he's playing to justify he, him not being he there. Gives me, he gives me flashbacks of when Antonio Conte put Victor Moses at wing back and he was a revelation. And that's what sort of to a lower extent, but that's how I'm seeing Hoylet at the moment where we've just put a winger there and it's just working and it's causing a threat. I mean, all the narrative in the build-up to the game was whether Yearden was going to be fit or not. And he ended up being fit and starting out on the right. But I wonder if in some weird way that was kind of to our detriment because I think Yearden, he has been great in that midfield, midfield three, in the centre-back three, you know, being the, the, the more mobile one to like scoop up any, any one-on-ones. But I think out wide, I think it's Hoyt's position to lose now. And I think last night demonstrated that. But we could talk more about how the team selection has translated to those first 20 minutes. I think we'll end up talking about how the midfield kind of cost us in the long run. But that was patently obvious from the first half. The fact that the midfield mix was a little too passive against QPR. And and also up top, it, it amazes me the way that the Sky commentators um, still think that Luka Chow is a target man. They think just because he's like six foot three. They think he's one of these oh, players. Sure. I, I saw the Athletic um, this week wrote a similar article about how oh yeah he's great when he has like long balls put up to him. He's not. He's he's a he's not a target man. He's like a, a weird half poacher in the body of a big man. And he's and Sky still thought oh well two big men up top Carol and Jao. It just didn't it just didn't that go that way for us. Lump balls up to Carol by all means, not to Jao. Yeah, Zhao is not not the target man you're looking for. He might be able to play up front on his own, but he's not a target man in any any sense of that definition whatsoever. Um, the first, I think, the first chance came for QPR after about eleven or twelve minutes, Nick, and it's yeah. kind of a ball which has bobbled around in the area, and I, this one happened right in front of the away end, and I could. It was a good save by Lumley. It's kind of hit across yeah. the goal from the their right hand side, and. 
I don't really understand why Tyrese Fauna is. He's kind of just stood there and let the ball there, drop yeah. out to a QPR player. But it's a yeah, good but, from this. Yeah, it's just a bit very sleepy at that point. I think it's a good block from across and it sort of spins up and bobbles into the middle. And all the Reading players just stand and ball watch. They don't react. And that's one of the issues. I think we were having that issue quite regularly at the start of the season. It's been a bit better recently. And I um, can't remember who it was for QPR that ran onto it, to be honest. I don't know if either of you guys recall who it was that had the shot. And he just reacts quicker than everybody else, gets on the end of it. It's a really good save from Jay Lumley. I thought it was very good yesterday too. Um, but this just the defence and the midfield, just watching it. There's no reaction at all. I think it was Tyler Roberts who had that shot, and okay. it was yeah, it was a good save, but it was it was definitely one which we kind of just gave it to them. And yeah, they should have scored. I, I, I bring up I bring up Tyrese Fauna because I think yesterday was Fauna's worst game for Reading so far. I agree. Uh, he really struggled, didn't he, Jacob? Yeah, I thought Fauna might have turned a corner, and that rhymes. Fauna turning a corner. Uh, <laughs> that could have been an alternative name for the podcast, but no, he. Um, Early doors this season, I when I watched him, he gives off like the aura of a player who is absolutely young and raw, Tyrese Rawner. And uh, he used to like dally on the ball and just be as passive as he was last night. And up until now, he's been getting better and better and better. And, you know, he's still prone to like aspects of sloppiness that Paul Ince identified in his post-match the other day, you know, because when Fauna came off the bench, everyone was singing his praises, but Ince wasn't quite singing from the same songbook. But but no, last night he was... It, the problem I have with the midfield of Loom, Hendrick, Fauna is that each have their own, like, glaring deficiencies and you need yeah. some sort of, like, glue to, like, marry it all together because in Fauna, he is so raw and just has this ability to just back out of stuff and look a little lost. Loom is pretty good at intercepting and, and breaking up play, but on the ball, he, he's prone to just being daft. And also like, his decision-making sometimes is just shocking. Loom, he's a disaster on the ball. Like yeah. I, I know in the second half, he was slightly better for the first 15 or 20 minutes on the ball, but goodness me, that first half, he was just... I know. Shocking. He looked up. He looked at there was a case to take him off at half time. He really looked up. I know that Ince has done that before he did it against Sunderland, but and then you go on to Hendrick. And I know he scored the equaliser midweek against Norwich, but of all the players in that midfield, he's the one that is the, the biggest luxury player. He, he can just completely drift out of a game. And you know, he was anonymous at times, and it meant that when you individually you can probably get over one of those players having a bad day but the three of them together in the same midfield unit was an accident waiting to happen and, and that's what cost us at the end but yeah Fauna was definitely culpable but he wasn't the only one the the next kind of I guess flashpoint in this game Nick is after 18 minutes and the ball is crossed in from the from the right hand side again they had a lot of joy down that right hand side with with Kai Kai. I think it's Kai Kai. Yeah, yeah he came on, didn't he, for um, Laird. Yeah, and as soon as he came on, he just caused Guinness Walker all sorts of problems. And he got across in after 18 minutes and the ball's headed down and it comes off Hutchinson and goes out for a corner. But let's be honest here, I think Reading got away with one, didn't they? 
Yeah, as you said there with Guinness Walker as well, he struggled a bit yesterday and just after he started to show real quality and he, he did get forward a lot and showed bits of quality still yesterday. He struggles defensively and it's a bit of an issue when you've got attacking fullbacks like that against him. Um, yeah, hang up the cross at the back post and I don't know, the ref's not close to it, so I don't know what view he had, but I don't know how he can't see that's handball because he knows it's come off Hutchinson. His arm's outstretched in the referee's direction. And, uh, you know, everyone can see it's a penalty. I don't know if QPR players really appealed it. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, we got really, really, really did get away with that one. Uh, should have been a penalty. And Hutchinson got very lucky with that. Not sure what he's trying to do with his arm. I don't know why he puts it out. It's, it's For an experienced player, that's really poor from him. And he's very fortunate to have got away with that one. It's so blatant. It's so yeah. blatant. And I think it's one of those that the ref must have watched back at half-time because he, he then started overcompensating for it and don't get me wrong I know that we're going to end up talking about the other penalties in the game and I think you know it was fair but but bloody hell I mean the standard of refs in this division I mean to anyone watching on Sky last night that wasn't a QPR Reading fan that's the you know the biggest advert in the world for the quality of officiating in this division yeah forever yeah, the top it's, it? it's quite inconsistent there's no there's no even during games there's not a lot of consistency between what decisions they make is very infuriating. Uh, it didn't take long, Jacob, for Reading to actually take the lead, though, in the end. It was probably our first kind of real threat on goal, I think. I don't recall any any big threat that we had before this point. Um, and, I mean, talk us through Lucas Zhao managing to give us this opportunity to take the lead. Yeah, at first, I wondered if the ref had had a similar mare with this one because um, Zhao, at the best of times, looks gangly and leggy. And I thought to myself, OK, he's he's probably gone over himself. But now on the replay, if you do watch it, um, the QPR defender, who I'm now not going to be able to remember the name of, but he um, he does just take his feet out from under him. It's, it's not a lot. There's not a lot of contact, but there is enough to, to take Zhao out. Um, he, he sort of like splays himself. It's um, like Bambi on ice. And uh, he goes down and instantly I think, OK, this is Jao's. This Jao's going to take this. is going to be good for his confidence. He's going to get back in amongst the goals and it might represent a turnaround in, in Jao's form. But no, the man to step up was Andy Carroll, um, who I was pleased to see step up because I think he's, you know, he's been the more impactful out of the two of them and, you know, probably the more value for a goal recently. But I thought to myself, God, when was the last time he took a penalty? Because <laughs> it wasn't for us during his first think, spell. Yeah, I think I read it was some, the first penalty he scored since 2016. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, for West Ham. And uh, he scored that one in 2016 and he and he scored this one too. And he puts it the same side as the keeper, but he hits it so well. And, you know, instantly at 1-0, I'm thinking, OK, it's kind of against the run of play, but can we hold out till half time? And the answer was no. When, <laughs> when you saw... When you saw Carroll step up, were you guys confident that he would be... Because I didn't know what to expect from a Carroll penalty, to be honest. I was a bit surprised. Were you guys confident that he'd I was, it away? I was, fairly, I was fairly confident. I don't know why I was confident. Just yeah. one of those one of those kind of hunches, I guess, that I think you you watch them on like Andy Carroll. I, I kind of expected him just to stick his foot through it and hope for the mm. best. And actually, it was a fairly, you know, fairly well-taken penalty uh, from, from Andy Carroll, really, because he kind of... He doesn't absolutely um put all any power onto it particularly he no, just aims for, he just aims for the corner 
yeah. and, and hopes that the goalkeeper doesn't get there. It's a it's at a good height for the keeper to save it. I'll, I'll say that. It's not a perfect penalty by any means, but he's put it into the corner of the goal and, you know, it's gone in. So I'm not, can't really complain too much at it. I wasn't as confident, but in my head, like the moments leading up to the kick being taken was more, how's it, have we ended up with him taking it over, over Zhao? And I think the answer I kind of arrived at was Paul Lynch clearly has so much faith in Carol, you know, it, like the Sky commentators were saying last night, it was on the phone to him for like six odd weeks before he signed. And he's the man he wants to lead up top. But also I think privately behind closed doors, I don't think he's completely convinced by Zhao. Um, and I think he's come out and said before, he's not exactly like the profile of striker he would want if he was able to have more flexibility. So Doesn't work hard enough or offer enough, does he? That's the problem. He's not suited to the way we're, we're setting up, I don't think, Zhao. He didn't get much of uh, much of a chance yesterday, it has to be said. Once again, that's a, you know a couple of games in a row now, really. Where yeah, he's, he's even the penalty though, he was too much. What's it, Nick? Sorry. Yeah, even when he won the penalty, he was just trying to take on too many players. There's opportunity to shoot, and he cuts back into his on his left, and that's when he wins the penalty. Like fair play, but at the same time, he should have really just got the shot away. Yeah, I, I'm struggling. Honestly, I'm even struggling to remember last time Jao got a shot away, which isn't yeah, it's not great. Can't remember, yeah. you know, Hope. best best striker really. It's not great that you can't remember the last time he got a shot away. And we, as you say, Jacob, we didn't hold on. QPR equalised two minutes after we'd taken the lead, and that kind of top of the league feeling did not last very long. It was about sixty it's- seconds. We were yeah. top of the league with a negative goal difference for 60 seconds. I mean, how how fleetingly glorious is that? I mean... Uh, Nick, the, the goal from, from Dykes here, it's a really yeah. good cross. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give the QPR player that. Um, it's a great cross from the right-hand side. Once again, another cross from the right-hand side. Um, and it's a good run by Dykes from the edge of the area and, mm. and a pretty good header. But it's so frustrating to concede that quickly after we've taken the lead. Yeah, for me, I think just conceding so early after taking the lead is the big issue there. Uh, we just didn't do enough to stop them coming forward. I think it's a dangerous time, isn't it? Straight after scoring is keeping that clean, sh- uh, keep not conceding. It's one of the most dangerous times not to not to concede. So um, when Kai Kai gets it, it's, it's good play from him. I mean, he's, he's just gone direct to Guinness Walker, a few step overs whips it in, quite a low cross, and Dyke sort of just runs across and diving header onto it. I've seen a lot of crit, crit um, a lot of crit, uh, sorry, lost my words, but I've seen a lot of um, criticism going for Tom Holmes, but I don't think he can do anything about that. It's a great cross. He's run across him. I just don't think you can defend that. I think, if anything, you've got to stop the cross there. That's probably the only thing I can say about stopping that goal. Uh, it's a great header into the corner. Nothing Lumley can do. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Holmes can do anything about that. Just tries to get. I, I think the run, the run by Dykes, is very. It's, it comes from very deep. When you look at the replay, Dykes is is already moving. By the time he's mm. even into the area, he's already yeah. trying to get across Tom he Holmes. Yeah, Holmes is he's three yards deeper than than Dykes or four yards deeper than mm. Dykes. By the time Lyndon Dykes makes that move, Holmes really doesn't have a way to to try and combat that because the, the ball in is that good that if Dykes makes the move, he's always going to get there first. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind yeah, I kind of agree with you. I don't really think you can, you can give Tom Holmes too much 
fault there particularly it's um it's not going to be one which he's going to be able to to do much with i think we did manage to get through to half time uh one one nick um with it yeah still being still being a draw however there was some bad news in the form of sam hutchinson coming off injured mm. just before half time I didn't read anything about what his injury was last night. I hadn't seen his calf injury apparently again, like the Adams. So I imagine that's probably him done for the next few weeks at the very least. As in our dodgy calves, man. There's something about the calves and the calves, groins, hammies. Yeah, they need Um, to be put on some like intensive like wellness course for the lower body. It's um, yeah, Blake. It's more yoga needed, I think. Yeah, I think it's as well the fixture congestion. We're playing on a Friday after a Tuesday. I don't, that's not right. It's happened for a few seasons now. It's sky for you, but the players aren't protected enough. We, you know, we have, we can't really rotate that much. We've got three centre backs fit up to the start of last night, and Hutchinson was one of them. And he's an older player. We've rested two players. We can't rest every player every game. Uh, I think that's played a part there, probably on, on Hutchinson. And yeah, it's frustrating. I don't. We'll probably have to put Yudom at centre back now, which is fine. We can put him as a right centre back in the back three, uh, which fits Hoyle in and Guinness Walker on the left. So we can get by, but we're one more injury away from a defensive crisis. Yeah, I mean, we saw that Nelson Abbey was on the on the bench last night, yeah. and it's. I, I don't want to say it's a crisis compared to last season because it's not oh, yeah, close yeah. to that yet. Last season, we ended up playing like Josh Laurent as the most experienced centre-back at one point, and that really was just ridiculous. But it, it's getting to the point where we don't have a lot of options now, really, in defence. It's uh, We do need we do need somebody like Naby Sarr to come back. We do need Sam Hutchinson not to be out for a long time because yeah. we are just running short on options. and. I mean, Michael Hector, I think, is still training with us, Jacob, correct? He is, yeah. That's the latest from um, James Morescoops than Hagen does, Earnshaw. Um, he's still at, uh, training at Bearwood. But, yeah, I think it just goes to show, for all the early season success we've had, it is built on ice in that all it takes is going to be one key injury, you know, to the likes mm. of, I don't know, a, a Tomins who was rested last night or, you know, one of the the regular starters at the back. And then all of a sudden we're going to have problems because like you say, Alex, it's not as bad as it ever got last season injury wise, but we're still, we've still consistently got like over half a dozen absentees to pick from when our squad is already thin. And, you know, just a quick final word on Sam Hutchinson. That was the archetypal Sam Hutchinson performance last night, you know, booked after half an hour for a stupid challenge, injured and subbed off before 40 minutes. I mean, you are not going to get a more Sam Hutchinson performance than that, like, ever, ever again. Is he not banned yet as well? He must have had at least five bookings by now. I don't don't understand how he's not had a ban. Has he not had a ban? He's not had a ban yet. He must be getting there. He must be so close to it. I know that Yeardham's on four, I think. So that's another thing. He was on third yesterday. Yeah, it's just something to take into account as well because it might not actually be the injuries that do us at the back. It might well be the suspensions as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, whatever Ince is telling them to do in the dressing room, they're certainly getting stuck in. So, Yeah, it's, it's good. Well, I'd like to see that. We haven't had a team like that in a long time. A long, long time. It's, we need to be like that. So, in the state we are, this is how we've got to be. To, and it's showing it's working to, to get us up the table and to not be in trouble come, come March time. 
hopefully we won't be in trouble come lunch time. Mm -hmm. If we do, if we have performances like the first 20 minutes of the second half, Nick, I don't think we'll be anywhere near that. Oh, I agree. Like, anywhere near the trouble because the first 20 minutes of the second half, Reading were on top and look, they really looked like there would only be one winner in that game. However, for all of the pressure that we had in that first 20 minutes of the second half, we really penned QPR in. I don't think they got the ball out of their own half. We didn't really, we didn't create anything. No, uh, we had a few corners, I think. Uh, but a lot of the corners were wasted. Who, I can't remember who was on corners this day. Was it Hoyler? Uh, no, Hoyler, Hoyler wasn't on the pitch. Fauna was on corners from one oh, side. That's um, ridiculous, yeah. Like, and then I think, Hoyler, I think Hoyler was once he came on, but I'm not sure who was at, who was on them before, but yeah. certainly Fauna was taking some of them. But we're very we're a big threat from corners now. We've got such aerial presence. McIntyre, Holmes, it hutches all right in the air as well. Yeardon can heads. Carroll, I mean, Jow's a big man. He's not great in the air, but he's a big man. He's, you know, physical presence. We've got such physical presence now. And Loom, Loom's an absolute beast in the air as well. And the corners, when you're not putting beating the first man, when you've got such presence in the box, it's really frustrating because that's one of our best weapons at the moment, our biggest weapons, and we're wasting them. It's typical game. because, like, if it's uh, it's so frustrating the way that, you know, we do have those big men now. And I think statistically we're pretty good on our, like, set-piece goals compared to the rest of the league. But if there was ever a time to have, like, a dedicated set-piece taker, like a John Swift, for example, who we just just missed out on, like, putting in balls into the box of the likes of, like, Saar, Loom or whatever. How bloody typical is that? Because I know that last night, after Guinness Walker went on like a mazy run, and I'm still, he's, he's got to have been a winger at some point in time because the way you can switch it from left to right, like he's, you know, not a defender. But then he was the one who ended up taking the free kick into the box, and it was such a promising angle as well. And all it would have taken was for like one person to be on the end of it. And he completely spooned it. And there were so many opportunities like that, like that last night from like corners and free kicks. It's, yeah, infuriating. <laughs> One one thing I will say about Guinness Walker is he cannot take a free kick. Just he's not he's not he's not that good at it. But Carroll's free kick mode. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of build up Carroll's free kick outside the area and he just smashes it into the bottom of the wall. Guinness Walker I'd give give thirty seconds to here. Uh he was very good in the second half. Going forwards, he looks really, really threatening. Hmm. And I can see a scenario where we get to after the World Cup and, and Baba Rahman is not being picked as first choice because Guinness Walker, he might not be as good defensively as Baba Rahman, I'm not really sure. But I think going forwards, he offers a lot. And I don't know if we've ever really seen that out of um, Baba Rahman, Jacoby. I think Guinness Walker, you got, yesterday, Guinness Walker's crosses are fantastic. They're really, they're whipped in, they're in really dangerous areas. And if Reading can just get a player or two on the end of one of those, we're, we're going to score a really, you know, a good number of goals from those kind of scenarios, I think. Yeah, I think with Guinness Walker, he's another one that I'd written off as, you know, because we signed him from Wimbledon, had rave reviews from the Wimbledon lot. And he's come in and after a couple of middling performances to start the season, it makes sense now why we signed him for those qualities he's got going forward. Because I, I would argue that the formation we've got, where it is the back three slash back five, it only works if we have the creative outlets on the left and right. And I think that's why Hoylet has been playing on the right ahead of Yeardham up until now, because he has a tendency to get forward. We know he's not the most prolific in terms of it, like actually scoring the goals himself, but he will get to the line and put a ball in the box. And that's clearly what 
the the style is or like the the plan from from Ince is to do that and if that is what you're setting out to do Guinness Walker is much more suited to that than Baba Rahman I know Rahman's more experienced is arguably better defender you know <laughs> occasionally but um yeah one thing we never saw from from Rahman last season was a knack for getting forward and Guinness Walker has that in spades if you can just work on the rest of the defensive side mm. enough so that he's reliable there I think you're right I think the way that Paul Lintz is managing this team means that nobody is guaranteed to start and I think that when Baba's fit again he might have a tough job getting in ahead of Guinness Walker as long as he can just avoid making any stupid errors I think there is one player who I think is guaranteed to start, Nick, and it's Joe Lumley. Uh, he, oh, yeah. I, I think he had two really good saves last night after an hour uh, in the space of 60 seconds. One which maybe looks like a little bit of a goal-mouth scramble, but the second one, uh, Ilias Chair takes a shot from 20 yards outside the area and Lumley somehow manages to palm this up and over the, over the bar. It's a mm. great stop. And I think it's another game where Lumley's kind of He's kind of done what he needed to, even though we've conceded two goals. Yeah, he made three or four good saves this day. I think the, sec- the first one you were just saying to was the header. Um, and then the one in the first half we've already discussed as well. And uh, they're all really solid stops. I think the chair one, which he tipped over the bar, was a really, really top save. And he's, I mean, I'm going to eat massive humble pie now because I was so critical and annoyed when we signed him. Just from what I'd seen of him and heard from him at QPR and Middlesbrough, um, just over the last two or three seasons in the championship. And he, he just has a massive clangor in him. And he, we saw that at Rotherham. And then I thought, okay, this is this is Joe Lumley in a, in a nutshell. Um, and he probably should have been, I stand by, he probably should have been dropped after that. And, it, you know, he's, he's done well since he wasn't. Um, but you can't play like that and not get dropped, really. But in, I think, what is it, 13 games now, he's been really good, if not solid, in 12 of them games. So... And I said after 10 games, if he still keeps going, I'll take it back. And yeah, he's had one bad game, one awful game in that 13. And massive credit to him. I think he's a really good character. I think his uh, communication's really good. His distribution's pretty good, which surprised me. It's not bad at all. Um, And he's not a bad shot stopper. And so far, only one game where he's had an absolute meltdown. So I think he probably will have a couple more like that. But he's shown that it's not actually going to be as common as I was expecting and full credit to him. And yesterday he was uh, probably our man of a match, I'd say. He kept the score down, you could argue. And like like we were saying, no one really performed at their best yesterday. But Lumley was fantastic when called upon. Yeah, I mean, he's an upgrade on what we had. Definitely yeah. an upgrade on what we had. I mean, I, I know that people, myself included, were saying, well, Southwood is good enough. He can, he can do a job for us there, especially when... You know, when we're operating on a limited budget, people are saying, should we really address the goalkeeping department as much as we have? But you can see now why they wanted to do it. Because like you say, he's he's vocal. He's a leader at the back. He's got a big personality, a, like 10 out of 10 shithouse as well in terms of his time wasting. And, and without him without him playing last night, the QPR would have been out of sight. So, you know, he did keep us in it right up until last 10 minutes. So, yeah, credit to him. Long may it continue. I think we're giving him a good opportunity to look good as well. We're not asking him to do loads, if that makes sense, because of the way that the defence is playing. We don't yeah. give up. Or Well, yesterday may be different to a lot of the other games, but the vast majority of games this season, we haven't given up many chances. I think before last night, we'd given up 
four shots on target in three games. And it, it, if that's the case, it's it's almost very difficult for a goalkeeper to look bad in that scenario. However, as, as you both said, Lumley deserves some, some credit because certainly this season so far, he's, he's, he's been much better, I think, than anybody was expecting pre-season. And long, may, long may that continue. The, the winner for QPR came after 85 minutes. And this is such a frustrating one for us to concede because it, it, it felt like the game was going to 1-1 because I don't really think the team was creating enough to, to warrant a winner here from open play particularly. And the run into the box looks like it could have been, I think it's off, a, it's a kind of a second phase from a corner in it. The run into the box is one where it could have been stopped two or three times, Jacob, mm. before it gets there. Really, it's and then the foul is is just it's real schoolboy error kind of football. It is because Pauline said it himself. The game was headed for a draw. I know we were lucky to be where we were, and you know, in in that QPR had had chances and Lumley had to be called upon. But it was the manner in which we threw it away, because like the Sky commentator said, any sort of contact from Loom when the players coming in at that kind of pace you know, would have meant that it would have gone down and it was a stonewall penalty, exactly what happened. But mm-hmm. I don't understand how Loom was trying to claim that it wasn't a penalty. It was just completely blatant. Uh, he um, doesn't make any attempt for the ball, just grazes him. And um, yeah, he, he just, it was like a half pole axing. And um, even before the penalty was taken, you could tell because the, the players instantly just went like, Whoa. you could see their, their body language, like, oh shit, we've, We've been in the game for so long, we're going to throw it away like this. And um, it's a testament that, you know, all of a sudden we are competing in these top of the table playoff games enough to get away with a point. But it's just such a shame the way that we blew it in such haphazard fashion. It's um, even if we'd lost 2-1 to like a good goal, like a long range effort or, um, you know, something... A little less calamitous than than loom bundling over a play in the box. It's just, it's such a shame. And the thing is, like we were saying earlier in the pod, the signs were there early in the game that that loom was going to have a clangor in him, and that's exactly what ended up happening. I worry about loom sometimes, Nick. I, I <laughs> he goes through this like phases of games where you watch him and you just think, how have you made it as a like a as a professional footballer? Because you've yeah. got Every so often, he has 10 minutes of just absolute calamity in him. He uh, And at points, he also has 10 minutes of, like, he looks like the next Makalele. But it's it's so up and down. It, it's he's, amazing uh, amazing watching him, really. Yeah, he's uh, starting to show he's not just another Semedo and Pele. He's sometimes really good and sometimes not that good. Um, it's the opposite of Guinness Walker and Fauna, as uh, Jacob was saying earlier, where they've actually got better and better as the season's gone on when they, we're literally writing them off after two games because they don't look up to the standard and now they look very good. Uh, Loom's come in, look fantastic. We think, oh, what a find we've got here. And he's actually getting worse and worse and making more mistakes and sloppy fouls and just not up to speed. I don't know what that is. To be, I'm not, I'm still, I haven't worked it out yet. But there is something in there to show that yeah, this guy's a top player. He can he can tackle. He can he can pass a bit when he's on it. But like you said, he's a bit sloppy most of the time. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if he's just not up to the speed of the game over here. 
Uh, don't know if he just can't be asked. I, I'm still, I need to work that out still, but it's frustrating because there is something there and there's something that's above Fauna, above Guinness Walker, but it's not consistent and you want that from him. If he's consistent, he could be a top player in this league. So it's really frustrating. After I think even Rotherham 4-0, where I thought he looked pretty good in the games after that, and it's just dropping now and it's quite frustrating. You can see why Ince is dropping him over Hendrick and Fauna when it comes to the decision there and he needs to step it up and hopefully it will just come in time. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know what you guys think and why this is, but I, I haven't worked it out yet, if I'm honest. I'm still trying to figure that one. I know that the pool of player we were shopping around in the summer meant that, you know, not just in terms of our league standing, but also in terms of our financial position meant that we had to look for players who were limited or like who, you know, we had to get creative. We can sign in players that others didn't want. And I think... Like you say, early games with Loom, you thought to yourself, well, shit, how have Porto let him go? You know, not suggesting mm. that he should be starting for Porto or in their squad or whatever, but, you know, there was clearly a player. If you look at those, like, pizza-like diagrams, like the stat charts when scouting a player, and you look at Loom's, you know, the physical attributes and that side of the game he's got, it's the rest of it he is just terrible at. Like, he's, he's not a passer of the ball. His decision making is not great. Um, he doesn't do many and much in terms of like progressive runs and and that side of the game at all. He's like purely there as like a midfield destroyer. And when he does that well on on a good day, he's brilliant and he's up to the level. It's just when he's not because he he because he's not doing well at the things he's meant to be doing well, and he's never got the attributes in any of the other departments. He looks really really bad. Um, and I think that's what if I had to diagnose it. I know that, you know, he's only on loan and and he can be impactful, you know, at times. I think it's it's just a shame the sort of player he is means that he's never going to be like the complete midfielder. He's never going to be like a Declan yeah. Rice. But <laughs> I think as you say, uh, as you said earlier, Jacob, all of the the three central midfielders who've been bought in, they all have their own deficiencies. And it's just that his stands out way more than Hendrick or or Fauna's because he's it's so it's like so blatant when you're watching him play, whereas Fauna and, and Hendrik, they might have a bad game, but it doesn't necessarily affect the game quite as much because of the way that their roles are set up, I think. The the last 10 minutes after that penalty, uh, well, the last five minutes or so, Reading tried to go forwards, Jacob, and we had our second shot on target. Again, we, we didn't create a shot, shot on target from open play yesterday. And our second shot on target was the Tomins free kick coming just before stoppage time. It's another good free kick from Tomins, but uh, it's one which I've only I've only just realised that we didn't have a shot uh, from open play, and it's it's just another one where it's it's a little frustrating that we haven't managed to to make a chance from from open play. The only real chance we had was when the game was still tied at one one, and the ball kind of fell to Ovi Ajari who came on, and this is probably the swing point of the match where if Ovi Ajari manages to tuck it away potentially Reading go away with all three points I can't remember the last time Ajari appeared for us I think that was the most pleasant surprise to me I was like oh my god like Ajari is actually on the pitch mm-hmm. um, but like you said it's like classic Ajari in that he gets his feet all messed up and like Nick was saying before we hit record he just tries to do too much and if he can just get a shot away you know it's 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 funny if you look at the spread of shots we've had in terms of getting us to third. Compared to other teams in the league, we don't have many shots, but the shots we do have tend to go in. 
and it's not even in a way where we're outperforming stats like XG and whatever. Like we are shooting in good positions. It's just frustrating that when you have a player like Ajaria and Jao's another one and whatnot, and you know they'll get into the right areas and just be suffocated or not get the shot off, and that's kind of what costs us. And in terms of the subs, I think Ajaria looked all right when he came on. I know he didn't have to do much for people to say, okay, this is what we've been missing, but he's another frustrating player. In terms of the other subs, people, myself included, thought, well, Ince clearly doesn't fancy Mate, but surely this is a game when you throw him on for Carroll after Carroll's run out of pup, because Carroll offered nothing the last 20 minutes because he was knackered. But the profile of Mate means that it just gives you a passing out out wide. He's like a wide target man, and you can just get some of the pressure off by hoofing it to him. Mm. And... Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like it was a missed opportunity in some ways because even though I think like Ince, you know, looked all right when he came on, he would have been much better starting. They just clearly didn't want to risk him. But last ten minutes, you could tell the game was just a little beyond us, and the damage was done the minute that Lyndon Dice scored a second. And um, yeah, we were we were puffing by the last ten minutes. I think you're right. It's a game, another game, really, where it calls out for for Mate to be coming on and. Uh, are they are they just bringing him back slowly? I don't know. It's it's really difficult to tell. Um, but I, I think you're right. It it kind of screams that Paul Lynch just doesn't fancy Akumete whatsoever, and wants to you know wants to utilize Andy Carroll as much as he can for the four months that he's going to be around. I guess the next time he gets to utilize him will be next weekend, Nick against West Brom. Yeah. I don't know who West Brom are playing today off the top of my head, but I'm hoping that whoever they're playing don't um, don't beat them because I want Steve Bruce to still be playing, still be managing them next weekend. So, yeah, a will Steve Bruce still be there next weekend? I've just looked; they've got Luton at home today. Will okay. Steve Bruce still be there next weekend? And what will the score be? Well, I've seen the rumor that they're keeping Steve Bruce until a replacement is found. So he's imminently leaving. So I don't know when that replacement will be found if that's, and if that's true. So I think that if they win today, I think he'll still be in charge. And if they lose, maybe they'll just pull the trigger and go with the caretaker. I'm not sure though. Uh, I was saying to my dad the other day on the phone that out of QPR in West Brom, if we can get at least three points, that'll be good on reflection. So now we do need to win. Uh, West Brom aren't doing well. But they've got quality and I've seen a lot of their highlights and they're creating chances. They've got a few good attacking players, Jed Wallace, Colin Grant. Swift's not apparently doing it there, but he's, you know, he's a threat. Um, Dean Garner, they've got lots of quality in that team. And I think I, I'm not a big fan of XG personally, but they've got high XG as far as I've seen. So that suggests they are missing a lot of chances that they probably should, shouldn't miss. Um, so it won't they be are, easy because of their They are losing a lot of games, even, Nick. They've only, they, they've drawn they're seven. They've drawn a lot. Yeah, yeah, they've drawn like seven and lost like four, five. And then just um, one wins. One, one, yeah, one, yeah. So there's clearly, they're like, they're, they're going to be unlocked soon and suddenly they're just going to go on a run of 10 wins in a row or something. Because they, they are a good side. They're not going to go down. They're, they're too good. And they're showing that even... Even like you said, they're drawing, they're not losing these games, so it's not going to be as easy as the table suggests. We can't go there thinking, oh, we should win this at bottom three or their 17th or wherever they're going to be next weekend. Um, but I think we are quite solid and might be a bit like the Norwich game, to be honest, where they have that quality that can punish us if if we don't put them to bed. I think we'll win 2 1. 
2-1. Jacob, how inevitable is it that the one in Nick's scoreline is going to either be assisted or scored by John Swift? Oh, you nailed on. In a, in a similar way to the way that Lyndon Dykes did is in this one, right? And I know it was my fault, but like the signs were there, right? It was his birthday. He scored against in the past. He not scored the season, yada, yada, yada. Same for Swift because he's he's not clicked for West Brom yet. I, I would argue it's probably the way he's being played because I think West Brom signed him thinking that he was an out-and-out creator number 10. When he's not, he picks up the ball from deep and he's sort of like a half-eight, half-ten and then brings it forward. But he's not getting any joy and instantly their fans are writing him off as lazy and, you know, we've sold them a duffer and all that. However, he's definitely nailed on to do something against this. He's, he's definitely going to score like some speculative free kick and it's, it's written in the stars. But... Of all the games we've played this season, I'd love us to get a result over West Brom the most because they're a, they're a club of stubborn bastards. I mean, Ron Gourlay's pulling the strings upstairs and we know what he did to us. Steve Bruce is a stubborn bastard and none of his former clubs like him and he's not going to walk away. Um, and if we could just, just get a jammy 1-0 win at our place over them, I'd go away the smuggest man in Berkshire. Because there's there's a group of us going. There's like nine of nine ten of me and my brother's mates going, and you know it is a prime prime excuse for a for a piss up at the Purple Turtle afterwards. So uh, that's my prediction. I'm going to go one nil Reading and hoping that Swift doesn't get his inevitable goal or assist against us. I can't go with us keeping a clean sheet because John Swift is on the field. It's going to be one one. It's about the reaction, Alex. It's about the reaction. Ince, as we speak, has got a massive like paddle and it's like whacking the players saying, we need a reaction. He's got, and, a, week to, he's got a week now to, to put it back into them, hasn't he? After a loss. That's that's how it goes with, with Paul Ince this season. If we lose a game, next game, we have to be better because otherwise training is not going to be a lot of fun for those boys. Jacob, you'll be back during the week with a preview podcast. I will, yeah. Um, I, the West Brom lot are quite elusive, so hopefully I will have tracked someone down by uh, by Thursday evening. But you can look out for that and um, looking forward to asking all about John Swift and Ron Gawley. And then uh, we will be back next weekend with a review of the West Brom game at home. And until then, we will well, we'll speak to you very soon. Cheers for listening, everybody. <laughs>